Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. And of course, if you have any thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know. Talk with us on Twitter at, at Cisco Champion. All right. Today we are talking about industrial switching and how key capabilities of industrial switches can help you evolve your operations. Our champions and our Cisco subject matter expert are going to dive into the conversation and hopefully uncover everything you want or need to know. We are going to get started with introductions and then we'll get right into the conversation. Uh, Jonathan, I'm going to start with you. What do you do? Oh, exciting first. Um, hey, Amy, uh, great to see, see you again and I'm glad to be here. Um, so my name is Jonathan Mahadi. I'm working in the mining industry uh, and I do a lot of standards and governance and technical stewardship. Uh, I'm an OT expert uh, principal in networks and wireless. So I'm really excited to be here. This is one of definitely one of the areas that I'm very passionate about. And I've got my brother from another mother on the call as well. So let's let's get into it. <laughs> That's a good segue, Liam. You're up next, brother from another right. mother. What do you do? Well, my name is Liam Keegan. Uh, I run the U.S. operations for Rio Bravo Systems, uh, and my background is more on the solutions architecture. I'm a long time since CAE, so um, I, I've worked in the OT world more as like that that sort of looking in. So this is really a fun topic because. I think it's like there's a whole other world out there that the 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 IT uh, uh, people don't ever like look at or everybody just kind of looks at each other funny. So this should be a really fun topic. So thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Matt, welcome. How about you? What do you do? Hey there. Thanks for having me. This is Matt Hato. Um, I am an enterprise solution architect for an IT solutions provider and Cisco reseller. Um, I've been working for solutions providers for the past uh, decade or so and worked doing implementations prior to that. So I, I'm, I approached this from the angle of IT and then I got my, my first, I'd say, serious OT project uh, back in 2015 or so. So kind of been wor working both sides of the fence for a while now. Perfect. Glad you can your first podcast. First Cisco Champions podcast. That's right. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Albert, uh, we're so happy to have you with us today. Um, can you let us know who you are and what you do at Cisco? Yes, uh, Albert Mitchell. Uh, my official title is I'm a technical marketing engineer and I work in Cisco's industrial networking business unit. Uh, and I'm more aligned with the industrial switching or industrial Ethernet switching uh, product line. But I can speak pretty much anything IoT networking that Cisco does. And I awesome. wanted to get... So to sort of set the uh, the subject matter for this, uh, the, what we see at, at Cisco and in, in the industrial networking group is we see that uh, our customers who vary across like manufacturing, oil and gas, utilities, and a wide variety of other industrial spaces are all on this digitization journey. Uh, they're trying to digitize. They're trying to take advantage of, say, like cloud applications like Google and Amazon and Siemens and Rockwell. Microsoft are all coming at them with like cloud-based solutions. So in order to do that, they have to, how are they going to get their salute, you know, their processes improvements 
to be cloud-based to take advantage of some of the features like AI, for instance. So I think they're all on this journey and they're all in these different spaces or, or places in this journey towards, towards this. Um, and I think for the IT guys, this is something that is already taking place. I mean, every company, you know, is on, it does cloud already, but when you get into industrialized, it's a very new concept. And, um, and so that's what I would like to sort of in general is everything should be going back. I think customers are on this digitization journey and let's, let's get into it. All right. I think first though, we wanted to hear from the champions about their experiences with IT and OT. Do we want to just go around the horn? Liam, sure, I'm going to yeah, start go with you because this was your amazing suggestion. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. Well, no, what, what I think is super interesting is like, like so much of the, the focus is spent like from Cisco on carpeted space, right? It's, it's what are your access points and how fast is your Wi-Fi 6E and what's security, you know, do you have ice on these ports, right? And then you go into these like huge manufacturing facilities or you look at these communities that have like, you know, traffic signals and every single one of those things plug in, you have these massive networks that in some cases are just like, way that eclipse the size of what's going on in the carpeted space, right? And it's like, you go and you talk to these guys and it's like, yeah, Jim Bob 30 years ago wrote this tool that's got this thing that dips in this vat of molten lava and don't ever unplug it because if you do like everything breaks and don't touch it. And so it's like, you get this like whole parallel world that it's like as, as IT people, you're like, oh, this stuff's kind of important. So I think it's really fascinating that like, you know, this convergence of IT and OT is like super cool because it's like, you know, these networks that have been running, you know, for years are, and, 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 and the modern, like, like, uh, like Albert said, you know, like people need to use these services. It's like, it's causing this like collision and it's, it's just, it's this, it's a sweet you know, new set of circumstances that we're all trying to figure out. Yeah. Jonathan, what, what about you? I mean, you like live and breathe this stuff. I mean, I don't know of anybody. That... Uh, so like with my cup of tea in the morning, I normally think about, am I going to, when I'm designing environments, I normally think about, am I going to impact safety? Am I going to impact production? They're kind of like the two pillars for us. Uh, in the mining industry, um, beyond everything else. Uh, so like, you know, it with the push towards, so like the kind of way I look at it being in different industries, telco is kind of, you know, bleeding edge because they have to react to uh, consumer trends, right? So, you know, people want their TikTok and services like that. And then IT, it kind of is the next hit, right? Because you get all this fancy dynamic or new features in like a telco environment that they want in enterprise environment. And then that needs that consumption means that we we need to pivot to new solutions and then what i've seen then is that there has been traditionally a big gap between the enterprise it environment to ot where ot has been very monolithic potentially designed by process control engineers uh, where systems were built in the 80s originally right and so like you've gone from that kind of ethos to hey i want cloud services now i want i want automation more automation how do i do that but then the the thing that i'm going to like be raising today with everyone here is how do we do that in a secure, uh, deterministic manner? Uh, determinism is something that is very, very important in security. So yeah, but it's great, great call out. I mean, uh, I, Matt, what what are your thoughts? Well, we mentioned that digitization is a journey, and most of my experience with with uh, industrial deployments has been on let's say phase phase zero of that journey. Um, I've seen, so we're talking about our, our individual experience here. Um, I got my start with IT and kind of started dipping my toes into OT um, about eight years ago. And at that time, 
Um, I took a whole bunch of Cisco certifications on industrial networking, and I got really jazzed up about all the things we can do. You know, let's get to telemetry. And and then I walked on site, and I was I was a firefighter basically. Uh, many of the environments, the reason I was there was because of just basic you know lack of loop prevention protocols, and we had some people that were very, very skilled with PLCs and HMIs and industrial technologies, which at the time I, I had no experience with, uh, but there was very little understanding of, you know, basic loop prevention technologies or, you know, uh, forget security. And it was, it was a very interesting kind of uh, experience attempting to bridge the gap between, you know, my experience and, and the OT type of uh, networks that I was walking into. But many of them were at the time, uh, strung together and, and just scaled over time, let's say. Bailing wire and duct tape. And bubblegum as well. <laughs> so, Albert, from, from your perspective, you know, like, like what is like the, the legacy sort of bailing wire, duct tape, bubblegum network? Like, how did that evolve into the IE platform? And like, what is the, what is the IE platform of switches trying to solve for? So the, the, it's trying to solve the, you know, it's trying to be that product that is the culmination for the digitization journey. Um, but it got, its, it got its roots amongst all things like by enterprise. Um, we've actually been, Cisco has been doing industrial switching for about 20 years now. In fact, we just had our very first industrialized product had its 20th anniversary, I wanna say last year, the Catalyst 2955, um, which is the first sort of fanless product that we have. And it looks not unlike what we see today with this sort of cube. Um, so we've been doing it for a long time. And I think that it's just been for us customer feedback. So what we, we get out there, we put it out there, the customers that this is great, but it's missing this. And this is great, but it's missing. This. So it's been an evolution for us on just listening to customers. What, what do the customers want? And then slowly evolving the products. Um, and so today what we have is to sort of help bridge the ITOT gap. We developed the industrialized products that support you know, Rockwell's, you know, prof, uh, Ethernet, I, uh, Ethernet IP, they call it IP for industrial protocol, confuses everybody. Uh, <laughs> Modbus and, you know, Siemens Profinet to support those as well as like industrial redundancy protocols like MRP and DLR. But we also bring all of the enterprise class features that you would like to have. So it's all running iOS XE. So it's all manageable by DNA center. Uh, you can SSH in and all the security features that you would have from enterprise. So this, and so it's a helping, we call it bridging the IT OT gap because we have products that work with the industrialized protocols and, but are, can be supported by Cisco's enterprise IT tools, such as DNA center, for instance. So it allows the IT team at these companies to come in and really help get the OT guys up and running because it's not a different product for which they don't have any tools or expertise to run when it comes to building networks for the OT team. So, Jonathan, did you raise your hand? Itching, it, it, itching to get itching, itching. So, uh, operational <laughs> technology, right? Uh, it is a completely different mindset in itself, right? Um, and you know, you're talking about industrial pr protocols and throwing out some acronyms. Um, I, I kind of just want to like delve into just a touch of that because yeah. it, it is very complex, a very complex area. Let's talk about redundancy, right? Uh, Matt mentioned earlier, you know a lot of the original designs he would have seen wouldn't have been redundant, you know, and we talk about sticky tape in, in the industry that I'm in, I'm very fortunate that we've got a lot of 
smart people that are much smarter than I am and they know who they are uh, that develop designs and solutions that are fully redundant, highly scalable, you know, are, are built for the next generation of networking. That's where we're pushing to. So, but from a redundancy level, like we have to develop different type of redundancy protocols that aren't SDP, but are SDP like in nature, if that makes sense. Uh, do you want to talk about like why those uh, redundancy protocols are needed? So like, you know, in terms of like convergence and, and uh, timing and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So like for spanning tree, the best you can really get from spanning tree is one second, right? Um, if you're talking about, but then that doesn't work for safety. So we see oftentimes, you know, in, in industrial protocols and in, where we see redundancy is oftentimes for safety purposes. So you want to maintain communication between the various devices in a network and you need 50 milliseconds of, of time. So if you have, if you're suffering a network failure, either you lose a link or you lose a device, the network has to recover within 50 milliseconds or the safety pro communication uh, kicks in and everything just shuts down. So what you don't want is to somebody kick over a wire, pull a wire out or something like that. And your whole, your whole production line stops. Could, you, could you actually like give an example of that? Like, like something that you're, you're aware of where that like life safety is, is that important? A specific example. That's a good, it, it's funny. It, it, you mentioned that, but I'm going to give you a more generic answer. And that is almost every protocol has safety in it. So there's, there's Profinet. I mentioned Profinet. They have ProfiSafe. You have Ethernet IP and they also have a safety protocol. And you, and the, the people who build these production lines and these systems, they build them for the for the safety to be working specifically, um, and it's really there. Safety is really there so that if something goes wrong, that the devices don't go out of control and somebody gets hurt. And that's all about just keeping people safe. And they want to make it, everything as long as everything's working and the communication between all the devices is working, then everything is assumed to be safe at that point. Um, you see a lot in, for instance, if somebody were to cross over a line and hit some sort of like barrier that will kick off the safety protocol. So the, so the safety protocol is there to make sure that things are operating as they need to be. And if the safety system can't communicate with all the devices that need to maintain safety, then it just goes, well, I can't guarantee safety and it's gonna shut this production line down. So it's almost like you have a network for the actual devices, but then you have a network of like the safety layer that like makes sure everything is, is right. Right. in order. In order, exactly. That's why redundancy is so important because that messaging needs to be able to get from A to B. I, I guess I, I, one of the things, Albert, that uh, I was told earlier on uh, from a GM when I first worked in this industry uh, was, oh, I just want to get dirt from A to B, Jonathan. That's all I want to do in life. Uh, like, you know, that's all I care about. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's a really that's a really straightforward thing. So, like, you know, the way I look at it is either the packet arrives on time or it doesn't need to arrive at all. Right. That's right. basically... Like yeah. it, it's low. It's not necessarily, you know, uh, okay. There's a lot more video in production, I guess these days, uh, but, um, generally speaking, they're not high bandwidth networks, right? They're, they're quite low bandwidth networks, but they're highly real time sensitive yeah. environments. Right. And so like the redundancy and the safety protocols that were required are complex for a reason. And that's to get that data from A to B. I will add on to the redundancy. Sometimes I see redundancy going in just because of the cost of cabling. Sometimes they, they build redundant networks because it's just too costly to run cable from one device all the way up and home run it to some sort of it's like distribution layer device. It's just cheaper to run the cable. And I'm just going to connect the network devices together and build a ring because it just saves me thousands of dollars 
and rather than run cable through my facility all the way just to home run it. Anyway, uh, that's another reason for redundancy is just cost savings. Uh, am I going to trigger anyone by saying media converters? <laughs> 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 oh, by the way, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not promoting media converters. Please don't use them. Yeah. <laughs> Documents and media converters hidden in the ceiling. Exactly. Oh my God. Sorry, just start project coming back to mind there. With, with third-party AC adapters. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is a this is one of the challenges that when when IT people come in, so you guys are all familiar, but when you get IT people coming in and you're sort of having that initial meeting between with OT and the subject of safety comes up, and the IT guys like, what do you mean? Safety? What, what, could, what could possibly go wrong? You know, uh, if, if the network's down for a couple minutes, what's the big deal, right? Uh, people will just use their phones. So that they don't really, the, the, this is sort of the cultural thing that when IT guys first step in and start working with OT, I think Matt alluded to this a little bit. It's like, wait a second, what is this safety thing? And why is it so important? Um, and it's just, if these guys, they safety is, you know, priority number one, right? Uh, and, it's right up there with production. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, Liam, I think you mentioned earlier that you know uh, you're you're kind of an advocate of more converged networks and trying to get, um, educate your customers around convergence, right? Whereas I'm on the other side of the fence where segregation is important, but not trying to like we still have to bake in what our customers need, right? So, like the customers are looking for more automation, more access to like data analysis, right? Which me means we have to push that potentially to the cloud. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to talk about, like we've talked about safety and redundancy. So what about security, right? Because if we're going to go, some environments will probably will go converged uh, and some environments will have like a hybrid model. Um, how do we, how does the industrial switching support security uh, ethos and methodologies? Good question. Um, this, how much time do we have? No, uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit security at sort of a higher level. If we want to dive into it, it more, we can. Uh, so the, one of the first things that, I think when, if you're an IT person, you have to realize when you come into security in an, in an operational environment is there's no usernames and passwords. So right off the bat, you know, you can throw out, you know, hitting you know, everybody, you know, logging in like a PLC or a robot or, you know, some remote device does, you know, is not going to log in. And I have yet to see anybody really successfully adopt you know, Mac auth bypass at scale. I mean, it's just it's just impossible to keep up with the number of devices that are coming in and out of the network. So you have to use other uh, strategies. Um, we've got this we've got this whole Cisco security journey that we have in the IoT networking group, and it really it starts with visibility. And the catch line is if you you can't secure it if you don't know it's there. So it's all about visibility. And for that, we have a product that we are uh, actively using it, it's, qu it's quite popular and, and it's gaining a lot of customers. It's called CyberVision and CyberVision runs in the networking devices themselves. It's sort of sitting there silently listening to everything that's going on and it figures out what you have, what protocols they're speaking and which devices are talking to which. It's kind of like NetFlow, but with deep packet inspection and an emphasis on industrial protocols. And then we take that and then we're also working with now we want to provide some policy. So how do you do policy when nobody logs in? So then it's a more of a TrustSec based policy. If you're familiar with TrustSec is using SGTs and SGACLs with role based. So now once you've identified everything in your network, then you can identify what needs to talk to what and you can then have uh, security around secure zones and conduits. And we have a, a whole uh, solution, if you will, based on this. So that's the security aspect of it from a uh, Cisco perspective. 
And it's also a journey, right? It's not, you don't just throw in policy without really understanding where the policy needs to be and who's talking to who, right? Um, and if you talk to people, you, there's probably no one person in these operational networks that really knows everything about it. So you really need to first see what's happening and then figure out what the policy is going to be. The, the interesting thing about about security is that like, you know, sort of with security and especially, sorry, no offense, Cisco, but like for manufacturers, everybody's like security, security. It's like everybody's got a little bit of an eye roll where it's like, come on, how applicable is this to my environment, right? How how crazy do we need to be? But then you hear like if you read about Stuxnet, right? And it was basically the Iran uranium enrichment program where a a modified firmware on a PLC caused the caused the centrifuge to spin in, you know, just undetectably faster and set back the 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 the, the this uranium enrichment program like it, it it's you know like this is stuff that's done by nation state actors i mean maybe not in a mine but definitely in some of these you know higher um you know, you know more sort of yeah i don't know nation state actor uh, uh circumstances and so it's like that 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 capability exists and is being exploited but the the sort of ie plus cyber vision sort of like gives gives those those clients that visibility into how is that traffic changing Right. Uh, what is the flows? How is it different? Yeah. So hit... I encounter that kind of cavalier approach to security on the OT side. My my response is just go to showdan.io and type in Rockwell Automation. See what comes up. Type in Alan Bradley or your favorite uh, you know manufacturer of PLCs, HMIs, etc. And I'm just blown away by how many of these are are likely inadvertently connected to the internet and just sitting right out there for anyone to <laughs> attempt to breach. Yeah, so if, if, if there's any one thing that our listeners take away from this and they're, and they're looking and goes, how should I do security for my operations network? Get a firewall that does DPI and put it between your network, your operations network, and whatever is connecting you to the internet or to the rest of it. I mean, if you do nothing else, that's the first step. You've got to get a firewall that does some deep, you know, some deep packet inspection. That is numero uno. And we even say it in our own solutions. Like, first thing you do is you got to get a firewall. I mean, if you do nothing else, right? Uh, and then you just go from there. So that's, anyway, just thought I'd put that out there. If, if anybody was figuring out what's the first step, that's the first step to security. <laughs> Get a firewall. Yeah, in addition to the policy that you mentioned, Cisco also has a very prescriptive architecture, which very helpful to me when I first started doing industrial, which is the CPWE. Right. You know, it started out as a very long document is, and has since kind of grown into multiple separate documents, but just their concept of having that IDMZ and how to properly structure, um, you know, each area of the network to, to get from OT to IT securely was very helpful to me. So you're the guy that read it. No, just kidding. I, uh, I actually read the original <laughs> one start to finish, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Uh, now it's just so many separate documents that I can't. Well, it just, it just, it, it, well, it just keeps evolving. Uh, for the, anybody, for the CPWE is the connected plant-wide Ethernet. That is the solution that Cisco works on with its partner Rockwell. So Rockwell is, you know, is uh, developing industrial automation solutions, um, and Cisco is their partner for the networking services, the networking aspect of it. And so together with Rockwell, we built this really large document, originally called CPWE. And it has since evolved to talk about more things like, like how you're going to do CPW specifically for redundancy, how you're doing, you know, how you're doing it for security. And so it's got all these sub documents that have gone off onto different uh, topics that you just don't want to fold into a, 
multi-hundred page document. I mean, you just can't, you know, you just need separate documents. Anyway, thanks for bringing that up. Thanks for the shout out. I think that's that's great that you've read it and you've got, it was good experience. I often talk to customers and push them towards Cisco's validated design. So if you Google, you know, Cisco's validated designs, you'll find that we have validated signs, not just for manufacturing, but I think it started with the Rockwell partnership and the CPWE, and it's since evolved to validated designs for mining, road work, uh, entertainment, or not, not entertainment, but transportation. So a lot of different, what we call verticals uh, in, in industrial space have their own validated designs because they all have their own different needs. So thanks for bringing that up. I just wanted to like, oh, so like for, for my side, by the way, uh, validated documents and designs and the fact that you've got this whole whopper of a document with Rockwell is really, really handy uh, because I'm not a control systems expert. So to be able to see and understand that and to kind of consume it in, in my own time as some light reading has been very useful. Uh, and uh, I did notice that actually you've got like a DLL, DLR support now on the in, uh, industrial switching platform, which is good to see too. Um, I think that comes up a fair bit, uh, whether we use it or not. Uh, at least, it ha I guess it helps our control systems engineers not have a nervous fit when we say, oh, we don't support this. But it's 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 really good to see that, you know, uh, Cisco listen to uh, their customers and just trying to get make sure that, you know, we're getting the products on there uh, with the right protocols that are supported across the industry. But I do want to kind of touch on uh, the industrial switching platform a bit more. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you know they're, in, they're industrialized, right? So, like, they've been built for conditions, okay? So, like... Talk to talk to us a bit about like uh, what does that mean? So like there's like for me, yeah, you, know, you have standards for dust, you have standards for vibration, you've got standards for uh, temperature. How what 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 makes an industrial switch an industrial switch? So there's there's like obviously the hardware part, which is more of the mechanical engineering, which you brought about, which starts with like waterproof and dustproof. So we always talk about IP thirty or IP sixty seven, which the IP stands for ingress protection. And that the, the number 30 is for water and dust. And so if it's zero, it's there's no protection against it. So like zero, like you see IP30, it's it's not waterproof. Um, but if you see IP67, then it is operable with underwater for like, you know, one meter of water for 60 seconds or something like that. Uh, and then the, the, the other number is for dust proof and has everything to do with the size of the dust particle itself. So that's the that's the first thing we do. We talk about IP30 or ingress protection 30. And that's all about the mechanical design. And then we also try and build them as small as possible uh, because space is often, you all, you have to pay for space. Just like in a data center, you, you, you pay for every rack unit. Uh, in, an, in, in an enclosure, uh, you pay for uh, how much space you're taking up in the enclosure and the size of the enclosure. So for us, we're always trying to make things as small as possible. That's why for some of our product lines, they'll have different sizes. So you, you brought up like you were talking about like a 3105, uh, earlier until so you'll see there's multiple sizes for that depending upon port counts. So we can you can get the size you want depending upon uh, the port counts that you need. Uh, the other part you mentioned is um, vibration and shock and but also industrial uh, certifications. There's so many certifications that we have to go through um, that from a hardware perspective have to be hit. Uh, so and we we do a lot of validations and we have to get things certified by different uh, uh, certification companies, not just in, the ones in the U.S., but also, you know, in Europe and Australia has their own certifications. So we have to build to all those, the Koreans, the Japanese, the Chinese, they all have their own uh, certifications. So that on the hardware side, um, that's what it really is. Um, so 
But for us, we, we, for the most part, we take Cisco's technology. So oftentimes we're running the same ASICs from a switching perspective that the Catalyst team has, and we put it into our products as long as we can cool it. So sometimes you know, if we can't cool it without fans, then we can't build on it. So people always ask, when, is, when are you going to have a Cisco 1 ASIC uh, in an industrial? I'm like, uh, not anytime soon. They're going to have to really bring down the power that that thing consumes so we can cool it. Uh, without fans. So that's, that's on the roadmap. Uh, no, not officially. Uh, we're, we're always looking at how we're going to adopt um, new technologies. Yeah, yeah. So for, those, so for us, like, as soon as, as soon as we can cool Cisco's ones, I'm sure we'll put it in a product, right? If we can cool it without fans in a 19-inch rack space, then we'll do it. Um, but right now, it's, it's, too, it's too hot. Um, and then the other part of what makes it industrial is we have to include these industrialized protocols. So, for instance, we support Profinet, we support Ethernet IP, we support Modbus, we support MRP, DLR, HSR, PRP, PTP, right? We, all these different things that these software protocols that are needed to work, operate in the various industrial environments, we've added on to in addition to standard enterprise features that you might find. So we're running iOS XE on our Ethernet switches, and then we, we build them, you, you know, Hardware-wise, but then software-wise, we have a really large software team that puts on the industrial protocol support so that when they go into a manufacturing environment or a substation, they're going to support the protocols that are needed to maintain operations in, in those facilities or those verticals. Is that what you were looking for? Oh, that's great insight. Love the, I love the uh, I love the insight around the uh, cooling. I, I hear that a lot. Like These things get hot. I don't think people realize how hot switches get, like industrial yeah. switches. They are giant heat sinks. So often they are giant heat sinks. And you often see if you look at one, they've got all these fans, these fins on them. And that's to increase the surface ability, surface so we can dissipate the heat so that we have all these fins on them um, specifically to do that. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I, Jonathan, so you're, you work in the mining space, right? Uh -huh. uh, so like how many sort of roughly, how many of these IE type switches do you, do you maintain like 20? 25, uh, 30. No, no. I, like, so like one design or uh, one of the mines I've been working through is like three, three, 400, you know, maybe more. Uh, so like, yeah. And like, um, this is why it's important to have proper visibility and, you know, build automation into that, those things and kind of evolve with it because, uh, you know, we have to keep things secure. We have to keep things maintained because if a failure of one piece of equipment could knock out an entire plant or part of a mine or the whole mine you know so we have to be very careful about it so so just just sort of i mean with three or four hundred switches in in one mine albert can you kind of talk about like i am just such a huge automation nerd can you kind of talk a little bit about like how customers automate on top of that ie platform and so they're not having to do 400 separate ios xe upgrades so generally, <laughs> gen genuinely, general, uh, generally speaking, uh, it's you know in, in, I guess in the last few years it's getting better, but in traditionally it would be absolute rubbish. In all honesty, it doesn't get maintained. So like, you'll find that if you look in the industry where industrial switches are involved, they don't get updated, right? They just, they just. Uh, I think we alluded to that they're like you know black holes somewhere like in a time like, machine a time capsule yeah like a time capsule they you get can carbon away. date them so like i have literally i have seen like you know the the green box ie 3000 switch all over the place like 
in every industry, like you'll see this green box. I'm like, oh, I know what that is, right? And I'll still see solutions from time to time from vendors and they'll have an IE 3000 that they had from stock and it's just sitting in there. I'm like, well, that's end of life, end of support. But you know, <laughs> it still works. <laughs> it still works. Yeah. Um, so, but like in all honesty, yeah, no, look, the automation levels are getting better, right? So we build in, like we build in Cisco software or some other product that can wrap into APIs. Um, you know, um, I think we touched on CyberVision and then, you know, um, switches have have like edge compute now as well. So you can run additional sensors on there if you want to. Um, so like, yeah, uh, it's getting better, but traditionally it's been uh, kind of like set and forget. Albert, what's what's kind of Cisco's perspective on on how it's it's changing the the that that paradigm? So I think oftentimes, I mean, if you can give me if you have a different opinion, um, customers would love to take their industrial switch, deploy it, and never have to touch it again. Uh, so for me, I say day one is key. Get that thing out there, get it configured the way you want, and if it's a Cisco switch, we have pretty good quality. It should just run. So for that, for automation is key in that respect. And I think we see it a lot in the mining industry because no one likes to go out there if they can help it. Um, is So we right now we're using plug and play, which is combined with DNA center is the preferred method that you do this. In this way, you know, you just, the idea is you just take your switch, you plug it into the network and it just calls out to DNA center and says, I'm here in DNA center. Uh, and then the administrator will take a look at DNA Center, and then it will complete the configuration by applying templates and putting it into the correct sites and, and doing all that and complete the provisioning there. Uh, that's one form of automation. But not everybody has adopted DNA Center. We see some customers still using the old auto install. So if you guys have been around a while, you heard auto install, which is this TFTP based service that comes in where you can install configurations using auto install. So we still see customers doing that. We still support auto install. And so you can get, you can automate it with just a TFTP server. You can push configurations down to your switches automatically. Uh, of course you have to, it all uses DHCP. Um, but there's that way. Uh, and we also have some customers that are doing, because we support SD cards, where you can put a configuration on the SD card, okay? And you put the configuration on your, sorry for everyone who's listening, Jonathan's talking, he's pointing at himself, you use this. You, put the, you can put the startup configuration on the SD card and then you just, when the switch goes out, you just put it, you just take an SD card with it. And so whoever deploys the switch, you know, they deploy the switch, you know, connect it and then just plug the SD card in and the switch just comes up and runs with the SD card. Um, so that's another way that we're seeing the sort of automation. Um, and so we really using the SD card a lot uh, as, a, as a solution. And the other thing it comes in when it comes to automation, although this doesn't happen very often, you wanna be able to have a process around this and that is to be able to replace the device. So for, heaven forbid someone should take a forklift and sort of poke right into the center of your ethernet switch, essentially damaging it. Uh, you can always take another ethernet switch out of the box from your inventory, plug it in, take the SD card out of the old one, put it into the new one, recable it and it's up and running. And so this can be done by you know the operations team on site and the network administrator doesn't have to do anything and the switch just comes back up. So this is another thing that customers really like in terms of automation and device replacement. I mean, it's a big thing about, we got to keep things up and running and things fail for a variety of reasons. And just SD card swap is the term we use. And that's a way to get things up and running quickly. Albert, it doesn't need a rocket science to control it, right? I can give that to any person, a mining engineer, 
like a non-technical person say yeah. you see this sd card that you would normally plug into you know a camera or whatever you just slot it in here and power this thing on that's just it. bend it in half and put it in the ethernet port yeah oh, well <laughs> liam, of course you'd bring that up. yeah no, no, no. um but liam I, i'm actually curious like right back at you so you've asked like me how mining does it and like like as albert said like it's very much set and forget kind of mentality because it, it's not you know you want to keep people out of the line of fire but you know um traditionally things just work right so like there's so like it's funny cisco switches right are designed for harsh environments to a certain rating but a lot of customers i've seen use them beyond that rating right and they just work even though even though they're not technically supposed to they, they yep. do right and so uh, it's unusual. They're like they're like built like Trojan, like like absolute like bullets. They they can't. I've, I, it's rare for a switch to fail uh, unless something's happened, right? So like there's been a brain power event or something like that, or they haven't plugged it in the right voltage. Um, but what? How, how's? I mean, you're probably more mm, closer to the IT OT kind of line where it kind of bleeds a little bit. What's what's your experience in the space of arranged maintenance and automation? We we just don't see a ton of. I mean, like, like Albert said, we just don't see a ton of failures. Primarily, most of our clients are sort of oil and gas. So we have you know their IE switches on top of um, like at, at pump heads, right? Measuring things like flow rate, and I mean that those conditions, you know, you you've got a a, a well in the middle of Wyoming. You know, and it gets real hot and real cold, sometimes real quick. And, you know, it just, they just sort of work, right? And, and you know, whether it's in, in a, a, a like a, a traffic box on the side of a, a you know, on the, at, at the corner of an intersection that, that's, you know, maintaining, uh, you know, the traffic signal telemetry going back. I mean, like, it's, they're small devices. There's not a lot of, there's no moving parts. It's very, very simple. The, 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 you know, but, but to your point, it is a lot of set and forget. And I think a lot of that is, is, you know, prior to Cisco being in this realm, I mean, like a lot of these, these networks were built with just sort of very dumb, unmanaged switches and hubs that just sort of plugged in and worked. And then if you ever needed another one, you would go to the local consumer electronics store and buy a replacement and plug it in. Like I said, no loop prevention, no anything. It was just like, I don't know, just plug it in. Right. Yeah. And so I'll leave caveat. We're not, so we're not. Uh, we're not saying that we should ever use unmanaged switches, media yeah, converters, don't, don't do, don't do or, or hubs. Don't don't do that. But, but I mean, I also think like there are so many. You know, like one one of the really interesting things is like being able to build these virtual networks, right? And so now within these switching platforms, because it's an iOS XE device, you know, you can build a VXLAN underlay and overlay right on your IE switch platform, and basically create these virtual networks. Right, that even though you know port one is one application, port two is another application, but they're never going to talk. It's like that macro segmentation that's just native to the platform. So you have so much more capacity and or just capabilities now with yeah. with these platforms, right? Than you than you ever have, and especially with like SD access or you know VXLAN or you know DNA center, like that's just enabling like one point to 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 do it from. I think it's super super I, I, cool. And that, that's a good additional question to flow onto, right? So if we think about all the technology that we're consuming now in the enterprise space and the evolution that's going on there, what is the future of industrial networking in that kind of methodology, like thinking about those technologies, but with, with the lens of IoT? So like if we think that like switches are becoming more flexible 
smarter, I guess, in that sense. Like they've got the edge compute that we can put on other applications on there to do some monitoring or do what we need to do. Where where are things going to go? Uh, and, and if we keep the focus on safety and, I guess, performance, right? So like deterministic networks is probably something that I I mention a lot when I when I do designs and especially around safety. Where What is the future of industrial networking, Albert? That's a broad topic. I would like to see that, in, in my opinion, the, the applications themselves that we're putting out there, like we, today we support, like CyberVision, we have another uh, application we support called Secure Equipment Access that we put on the switches. We have some others that we put on our routers as well. That is just going to continue to evolve, right? This ability to have applications running on the edge to help either provide security, to do deep packet inspection, uh, to analyze what's happening and provide feedback up. And I think we're going to provide feedback and data up similar to a process you may have in your, so your manufacturing, you're going to have some sort of process improvement. You're going up to the cloud. You're going to get some sort of advanced analytics like for AI or something. Why wouldn't that also happen for networking? So we, if we can learn all the communications and all the flows that we have on your, in your facility, why can't we say this is what security looks like and then have it automatically sort of push down policy. So why why wouldn't that occur? To me, that's a sort of a natural occurrence of like, this is what policy is should look like. You could try this policy or let's this is the communication flow and this is the policy that you've actually administered. Here's where it's working. Here's where it's not working, right? Let, let's provide you feedback sort of from an, from an animation, not from animation, but uh, uh, an AI perspective, right? So even if you don't want AI to push policy, let AI analyze your policy, for instance, and make suggestions. Uh, so that's kind of where I see it going. More compute, uh, more applications coming onto the edge uh, is sort of where I see things going. Uh, always getting smaller, faster. Um, pretty soon we're gonna be asking for 10 gig. There's a lot more video coming onto the network and high definition video and video being used for artificial intelligence to do you know, testing. We see a lot of that in some of the advanced manufacturing now where they, they take a picture of every product and then they have AI analyze it, whether there's a, this product is, is uh, faulty or not, right? Uh, so that happens like, you know, how many, you know, 30 times a minute or something like that. There's a lot of video and AI going on if these parts are just going by you know, 30, 30 a minute. So one every two seconds, there's a lot of pictures being taken and a lot of analysis. And then these things are quickly either accepted or rejected. Uh, and that, that, that's just going to grow. Uh, so therefore more bandwidth is going to grow. Um, and we also see, for instance, potentially uh, uh, the compute portion. So that we talked about PLCs, which are the programmable logic controllers, which are sort of the brains in a manufacturing environment, the things that sort of run the production line. Why does that have to be co-located on the production line? Why can't that move the, the compute up into a sort of an on-site data center and just use the network to carry the communication back and forth? So now we're really getting into determinism. Now I'm really gonna, if, I, if my, my controller, which controls my production line is not co-located, you know, it's not one ethernet hop away in, in an L2 network, but it's actually in my on-site data center and I'm going through multiple layer three hops to get down to my production line. Now I really need a deterministic network and I need high speed bandwidth in order to be able to do that. Uh, so that's where I also see the future going as well. Uh, it's not necessarily about networking perspective, but this is where production is going 
Let's get all those things that actually don't move anything. They don't actually feed anything. They don't power anything. They don't do anything. If you're just sitting there to compute and measure, let's try and get you off of the production line and into the on-site data center, right? That's another move that's that's happening because, you know, that's just makes it cheaper and easier and things like that, right? It's fascinating, right? So we're kind of like, I guess I always kind of, the, it goes back to like, we have to do more with less, right? No, uh, and yeah. just uh, and optimize what we can, right? Uh, Liam, I'm or sorry, Liam, um, Matt, I'm just curious in in your industry as well, like where like where do you see things going? Because uh, you know you mentioned originally you've seen like the D link <laughs> in, in in a ceiling somewhere. Or, um, how has that evolved? And then where do you see potentially see things going, or where would you like to see things going? Most of the manufacturing projects that i've been involved in i i'd love to be at phase you know the final phase of the digitization journey um but i've just been involved in basic architecture so I, i've been a firefighter so i can only speak uh, to my experience but i've come into industrial networks and it's just hard down and that means you know downtime and dollars and many times it has been um just due to Poor architecture. The the uh, you know the first one of these I did. There was a campus with three plants in one site. Uh, I think two of them were they were all connected via layer two. Two of them were on I think a slash twenty two, and the other one was on a slash twenty four for everything. This is OT. This is IT. And for for those unaware, many of these industrial networking protocols uh, are multicast heavy. So you need you know proper layer two underneath, or it's just going to be going everywhere. And anyway, just kind of hard down. So many times, again, my experience has been just let's get some proper architecture in place, uh, you know, basic VLAN segmentation. Kind of phase one is proper switching topology with enterprise uh, grade gear, which can support the scale, you know, and then phase two is going to be more industrial DMZ. Let's properly segment it so we can talk back to your enterprise. But um, it's a, a lot of it in my experience has been relying upon Cisco's kind of architectural guidance to how do you structure your OT network? How do you integrate it with your IT network and just kind of the basics, right? You, yeah, my, you seem to be a little bit more down the, the journey with uh, some of the minds you're working in. But, but, but in fairness, we had that journey from ground zero, right? So like you've made a really good point and like we can automate whatever we want and we can try, but think, you know, introduce AI but without uh, a solid foundation that it'll never work properly right and it'll actually probably cause more problems than it actually will solve uh so like building the under it's called like we call it kind of the underlay so if we think about overlay technologies we're building a solid underlay right well, it has to be done the fundamentals need to be done correctly uh and you know it, they're most of these environments are brownfield environments so you can't just you know uh build a new network and then just like switch it on right yeah. it doesn't work that way uh you do have to carefully plan and design so um, everyone's got their journey, Matt, uh, and trust me, it's just as exciting to have to build the underlay as to getting to a point where, oh, now we can start look at turning on these tools. And there's also some very unique challenges, you know, from the manufacturing side, you know, just equipment where let's say certain machines, every single one is 192.168.1.10. And we're not going to re-IP the machines, you're going to net everything. And yeah. Like, what? But that's that's very common in manufacturing, whereas it's unheard of in the enterprise. So, wow, you know, some of the net architectures, et cetera, are just very uh, different from what you'd see in the enterprise. Uh, last, so, last kind of 
thought sort of on, or well, just, just a, a follow on thought, you know, in terms of what Matt was saying about like you, 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 these weird dynamics, it's like, if, if, if you haven't seen like a, a demo, if you're in the, in the industrial space and you're running an OT network, right. And haven't seen sort of what that vision of the IE switch platform and cyber vision looks like, like it's something that is well worth your time to go spend the half an hour and get the demo on it. Because it sort of provides that for very, very unsophisticated devices. It provides real value out of the network, like about what is allowed to communicate, what is not, what, where the traffic flows are. And it just lets your network assist you in making your life easier from a, from a security perspective. So like, I, I would, I mean, I can't stress it enough. It's like for the people that run those networks and see the demo, it's like, oh, I get it. Like the, the light bulb immediately pops on. So yeah. I, I do a lot of those demos because uh, you can talk about CyberVision and show the slides, but we actually yeah, have, no. uh, we, we, when you do the demo, it's like, oh, look at that. I see. Yeah. Yep. It's nice. Thank you for teeing that one up for me, Liam. No problem. <laughs> Albert, do you have any closing comments? Uh, no, I just think that uh, for people that are on this and if you're, if you're like, say you're a plant manager or you know the plant manager or something like this, it's like, it's a journey. Uh, you know, you got to keep going on it. Uh, there's a lot of benefits to updating your network uh, in your in your industrial network to take advantage of not just the security features that we talked about here, but the process improvements in general that are coming from the automation vendors. So they want to see you know you, you know, the ability to like reduce uh, shrinkage or you know reduce waste, imp improve processes here and there. Uh, there's a ton of t customer testimonials out there that have taken the journey with like Siemens's tools and Rockwell's tools and some of these other things of like getting fully automated using cloud-based systems and seeing all the process improvements and uh, you know profit improvements that come from that. It's it's real and you just gotta. It's a journey, right? There's gonna be some bumps and just you gotta just take those steps, right? You gotta get past the part where you're just. You take advantage of the fact that you you architected your network and you're not just doing slash 22s in a layer two environment everywhere. You've properly segmented and architected. Now you've taken that step. Now, now you can really build on top of that and see that industry 4.0 vision start to come through. All right. I consider myself a plant manager, but I don't think you're talking to me because <laughs> I'm pointing well to played. the plants in the background. Well played. All right. Well, to our listeners, if you want to continue your learning on today's topic, check out the resources provided in the show notes below. And of course, I have to give you a weekly reminder, your bi-weekly reminder, actually. You can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. See you next time. <laughs>